Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 2 Peter. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first three verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Stuart will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. I encourage you to also get your pad and paper out and, and your pen out because you're going to want to take some notes this morning as we go over some things that you're going to want to write down and think about later on. And so um, I encourage you to get your pens out ready to go as we dig into Second Peter chapter 2. All right, Peter writes, beginning in verse 1, But there were also false prophets among the people, <coughs> excuse me, even as there were, will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle. And the destruction does not slumber. The title of my study this morning is Check the Label. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to be able to open up your word, our Bibles that we have in our hands, and to know that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us through your word what it is you'd have us to know, what it is you'd have us to learn, that we might serve you better, know you better, grow closer in our relationship with you stronger in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their hearts and life to you as, as Lord and Savior, that they would do so this morning. They would see their need uh, to cry out to you, Lord, and have you forgive them of their sin and heal them, Lord, of their, of their sinfulness. Lord, we, we pray for that move of your spirit this morning as well. So we ask that you bless our time together, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, whenever someone speaks for a company or an advertisement is shown that represents a company, you expect that they're going to have an accurate description of what that company is all about, what the product is all about, what they're trying to sell. They'll make a label and place it on that product to promote that product. And it should match what's inside. Well, it doesn't always work that way. Here's an example. Years ago, when Gerber Baby Food decided to market in the country of Africa, they decided that they would use the same strategy that they've used over here in the States for years. You know, their little Gerber food, baby food, baby that's on the front of the jar, cute little baby, right? You know, Gerber baby. So they, they uh, thought they'd use that cute little Gerber baby to put it on their jars in Africa. What the Gerber company didn't realize is that in Africa, because of the very high rate of illiteracy, and the fact that many people at that time didn't read, the companies would place on the labels pictures of the contents of what's inside. So you can imagine what it looked like to see a little baby on the front of a jar. You'd be repulsed by it. So it, it didn't really work well. It was a wrong message they were sending. Not a good selling point. Now, when Chevy wanted to sell their Nova to a Spanish-speaking country, it didn't turn out so hot for them either, because in Spanish... Nova means it does not go. Not a really good selling point. Then there's the case of Coors Brewing Company who wanted to use the slogan that was very successful elsewhere, turn it loose. 
But when it was translated into a Spanish-speaking country, it was read this way. Suffer from diarrhea. I don't think you're going to want to drink that, right? And finally, there's a case of Pepsi-Cola who was marketing in China, and they wanted to use the slogan, Come Alive with the Pepsi Generation. But it didn't translate that way in Chinese. It actually said to them, Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the grave. Now, these are innocent mistakes. Babies aren't in jars and your ancestors won't come back from the grave. But the point is, it did not represent what the company was all about. You need to check the labels. In the same way, anyone who claims to speak for God must represent God correctly or Scripture will rightly label them as a false prophet. False prophets' words are like false labels in the front of jars. They send the wrong message with the wrong information. Now, when it comes to the church, there are those that feed the congregations false information, false messages, and they're called false teachers. They offer up feel-good sermons, the whole purpose to make people feel happy, feel good about themselves, and and sermons that, that never really bring conviction, never confronted with sin, never challenged in their walks with the Lord. And although the congregation may be very happy, they're certainly not healthy. But I believe the problem in our culture today is so much worse than just a wrong label. You see, there are some spiritual leaders or movements that are feeding their churches what amounts to poison. And they're causing their congregations to appear to have life, but in reality, they never come to life. Instead, they remain dead in their trespasses and in their sins. It's like having a gathering of thousands of of cancer patients in one auditorium, and you are the the doctor, the guest speaker, and you have the cure for cancer. And yet week after week, you tell them things to make them feel more comfortable with their disease, and you never share them with the cure. Or worse yet, you're that doctor, instead of giving them the cure, you're giving them some slow-acting poison. Now, most of us would, would never question someone who came down on a doctor like that for giving them what would kill them. People get all upset when, when pastors or a teacher comes down on someone else's ministry or movement or teacher when they're dispensing poison. But I say it's absolutely necessary to do so. Why? Because the Bible does so. And even what's more amazing is the boldness and the straightforwardness of Peter that we see here in chapter 2. He is our example this morning. Because in, in chapter 1, actually First Peter uh, all throughout the, the book, and in Second Peter chapter 1, he's been quite positive. He set forth qualities of, of a God-honoring life, revealed to us that we have everything we need to live a life of godliness as Christians. He's talked about the precious promises that we have in Christ. He talked about how precious is our salvation. In fact, Peter used the word precious eight times from First Peter all the way to, to Second Peter chapter 1. But that was the end of it. Because you get to chapter 2, and things aren't precious anymore. He's taken the gloves off. This big old fisherman, he's going to tell it like it is. He's not going to hold anything back. His tone changes radically. And he delivers this stern, harsh warning against false teachers and against the heresies that they teach. And he's about to warn us about those who try to influence God's church in a negative way. Those that attempt to manipulate Christians for their own personal gain. And so if you're taking notes this morning, which I encourage you to do, I want to point out three warnings about a false teacher that Peter gives to us. To put it simply, number one, destruction, number two, denial, and number three, greed. 
But let me expand on that. False teachers, number one, secretly bring in destructive heresies. Destruction. Number two, they deny the one who bought them. Denial. And number three, they're motivated by greed. Number one, false teachers secretly bring in destructive heresies. Look at verse one. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, on the most part, if someone in the congregation stood up and said, I'm a prophet sent from God, and he told me it's not going to rain for 40 years, I think we'd laugh him out of town. Or at least I would say, could you ask God, could you make it just a week so it doesn't rain for a sunrise service? But, but, but you know, in the Old Testament, prophets, they were a big deal. And, you know, it was the people's lifeline to God. But then there was a the false prophet, someone who would come on the scene and they would claim to speak for God. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel exposed this counterfeit ministry, but the people still followed these pro- false prophets anyway. Why is that? Well, because the religion of the false prophets was easy. It was comfortable and popular. It was a message that they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. So Peter is saying, in the same way that there were false prophets, there are false teachers today coming in and giving a message that people want to hear. And Peter's saying they're coming from within the church and they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. The word secretly bring there means to introduce or bring in craftily, slyly, subtly. It's a subtle deception. See, Peter's saying it's not a blatant thing. They're not standing up and saying, Hi, I'm teaching heresy. I hope I don't get caught. No, they were secretly and craftily bringing it into the church. A subtle deception. And I believe the reason we're seeing so many problems in churches today is that we've forgotten that we are involved in a battle. And that Satan's ways have not changed. What was Satan's tactic there in the garden? Subtle deception. Secret heresy. Satan came to even sought to get her to do what God told her not to do. And he did it by questioning the very word of God. He said to her, did God really say that you should not eat of, 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 from any tree in the garden? And Eve thought about it and said, well, not exactly. Just this one. If we eat from this one tree, we'll die. Oh, come on, Satan responded. You won't die. No, you'll be like God. In other words, God is holding out on you. That was his message. You need to do something. Do something different other than what God's Word says to you. His message hasn't changed. He still seeks to deceive people in the same way, spreading lies about God's Word or adding to God's Word. Oh, you know, adultery isn't wrong. You know, you you have the right to be happy. Uh, Your homosexuality is not wrong. Did God really say that, that marriage is between one man and one woman? Listen, when a false teacher comes into the church, again, they don't stand up and say, hey, false teacher here, I want to show you some things. No, they lay low. And they're quiet for a while. And when they see the right time, they share their their poison with with someone else, one-on-one, and knowing that it's going to affect the whole church. They secretly bring in the destructive heresies till they have a little bit of a following. And, and, I, and like I said, we're not talking about blatant heresies, you know, or, or, you know, like Jesus isn't God, but ones that they may not catch. You know, like uh, maybe it's justification by works, or maybe it's, you know, to truly be spiritual, you need to do X, Y, or Z. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But my point is that they do it secretly, but it is destructive. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do we test the spirits, whether they are of God? Simple. Does what this person say line up with the Word of God? I've used this classic illustration many times. The U.S. Treasury trained people to spot counterfeit money. They do so by making them handle the real thing over and over and over again till they, they throw a fake one in there and they feel the texture is different. The feel of it is different. They spot it right away because it's different because they're so used to handling the true uh, dollar bill there. In the same way, if you're always in God's Word, as we teach here at Calvary, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, you're going to easily spot the counterfeits, the lies and the deception because you're used to the truth. But again, Peter says, there'll be those who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, I want to share with you this morning, under our first point of destructive heresies, 10 destructive heresies that are being circulated in our church today. Now, I want to give credit to Deborah Menelaus of Bethel Communications, who actually put this list together. I read, I thought, this is a great list. Uh, and, and then also to say that Bethel Communications has nothing to do with the false teachings of Bethel Church in Redding, California. They're different altogether. But if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to jot these down, the first five destructive heresies that I'm going to point out come from a simple, basic misunderstanding or wrong understanding of Scripture today. The next four are more purposely spiritually deceptive, destructive heresies, as they can often lead to the strong, strong spiritual delusion. And the last one speaks more on religious deception, religious heresy. First five come from a simple, basic misunderstanding of Scripture. The first one, number one, if you're taking notes, is what's called dominion theology. Dominion theology. This teaches that we as a church, triumphant, are going to Christianize the whole world, and once we do that, we will usher in the return of the Lord Jesus. In other words, this world, as we evangelize, is going to get better and better. There's going to be more and more Christians to finally, everybody's a Christian, and then Jesus can finally come back. I don't think I need to say anything to refute that. I mean, we clearly see that's not happening. It's not going to happen. So there's dominion theology. Then there's replacement theology, number two. Replacement theology teaches that God is finished with the, the nation of Israel and has replaced Israel with the church. Now, we know that is not true. Psalm 105, verse 8 through 10 says this, speaking of God, He remembers His covenant forever, the word which He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And we also know, according to Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of that he should repent. Uh, he has said that he will not do it, or has he spoken, will he not make it good? God keeps his covenant promises. He never changes. He is not done with the nation of Israel. God has a plan and a purpose for them. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that teaching is clearly false. Then we have number three. Liberal theology that's out there today. Now this is opposite of fundamental theology or, or biblical Christianity. This is the teaching where religion should be modern and it should be progressive and that the meaning of Christianity should be interpreted from the standpoint of, of modern knowledge and experience. 
not from the Word of God. The Word of God's got some, some nice sayings in it, and maybe you can pull some things from it, but, but you know, they're, they're really going to get from, from knowledge and experience of, of, of you know, what's going on in the world. Liberal theology, within liberal theology, there's this sexual deception that, that rejects God's ordained plan for the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. A lot of times in this liberal theology, people use grace as an excuse to sin, or, you know, I like to call it greasy grace. You know, it, it's, you know, they teach to, to change the meaning of scriptures to make them mean what they want them to mean to fit what they want them to do. Very liberal. Clearly a false teaching. Then there's number four, ecumenicalism. Ecumenicalism doesn't promote different Christian denominations working together, but rather different faiths. But the Bible says this will be a, a hallmark of the last days, a one-world religion with a mixture of Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and, and a host of others all under the umbrella of the Antichrist, a false prophet. Clearly, this is a false teaching as well. Then there's number five, purpose-driven emergent teaching. Now, the purpose-driven emergent teaching makes the gospel a social conversation, never mentions sin or repentance or hell. And many of these churches are, are well-meaning churches. They do good works, but they fool men and women who are not yet Christians because they've never been given the whole gospel of salvation. And they use marketing techniques that we often see in the business world, and they use techniques to, to sell the Bible, to peddle it. In this instance, it doesn't tend to be because of financial gain, because they really do want to see people do better in their lives, but... They never speak of repentance. They never speak of sin and hell. And unbelievers are wooed into this false sense of eternal security. And even though they call themselves pastors, God is going to hold each one accountable for not presenting the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. They may have good intentions, but they're still false teachers because they're not teaching the whole truth. Now, these last five are more purposely spiritually deceptive. They don't come from a lack of, of knowing God's word, but rather from twisting God's word. Number six, you have the prosperity gospel. Now, I've talked about this a lot. You guys know this. If you've been coming to the church a while, you know this is one of my kind of pet peeves. And, and the prosperity gospel says God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and successful. Now, this is often preached by those who are often very wealthy beyond imagination as they own many homes and jets and, and, and cars. And they twist Scripture to encourage their followers to sow good seed into their ministries, making them very rich, of course. And they promise that, that whatever they give, God will multiply it and give back to them. And so they peddle the gospel for financial gain. And, and uh, we'll talk about more of this in, in our second point. But, but they do what the Paul says he doesn't do in 2 Corinthians 2.17. Paul said there that we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as a sincerity but as from God, we speak in the sight of God and Christ. Sadly, it's most often the poor and disenfranchised that are often the victim of this kind of false teaching. What makes it so uh, spiritually dangerous is when this is linked with positive thinking and, and visualization, which are really practices used in occultism. Clearly, this teaching is false. And, and again, we'll hit this again in point number two. But, but this teaching is also tied very closely in with, with number seven, the word faith movement. A word faith movement. The word faith movement is positive confession where you speak something into being. Now this is extremely dangerous as people are told to believe for their healing, 
For example, there have been people that have actually died because they've been told to, by faith, stop taking their medication because taking medication is showing a lack of faith. And if they don't receive the healing, then it's due to them having some sin in their life. Very, very dangerous. That clear teaching is false. Number eight, signs and wonders movement. Signs and wonders movement claim that people won't be saved and the church cannot grow without certain signs and wonders that happen. Even though Jesus clearly said in Matthew 12, 39 and 40, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now really the signs and wonders movement is really an open door to all sorts of, 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 of different spirits and the Holy Spirit to work in a person's life. Many examples of this are people saying, well, well, gold dust came falling down from the church and, and, and they encourage this kind of, of signs and wonders thing to encourage you to, to channel the spirit to prophesy or to speak or, or to create art or even to write under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now they claim that this is the Holy Spirit, but they are playing really a dangerous game and opening themselves to all kinds of occultic, occultic possibilities. Which then leads to, to number nine, which has really been, been researched lately in churches. It's mysticism and contemplative prayer. Mysticism and contemplative prayer. Certainly this was more prevalent in the Middle Ages, but it has a, had a, has a strong impact in the recent years. And this is a, a form of prayer, is, is mysticism, that takes you into this altered state of consciousness. Now, what is an altered state of consciousness? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like, an altered state of consciousness. See, our brain operates at many different levels, from deep sleep without dreams all the way up to full wakefulness. But there's a certain dreamlike state that many other religions and New Age practices encourage as a way to blissfulness. But at its, as its worst, it's a way to contact other spirits. Now, for some, it's a true hypnotic state, but either way, it's a state of suggestibility where you can enter into this trance-like condition. It's where you may think that you're communicating with God or angels or other spirit beings. Now, there are people that claim to have dreams and voices and visitations by angels, and we know this certainly does happen. But, but this has gone, to, just to, it, it, it's now become a cult, a trend. And we need to remember the, the warning that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So clearly a way to be deceived. You know, we're, we're, we're told in the Old Testament that it's strictly forbidden to try to contact spirits. Leviticus 19.31 Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Finally, number 10, there's religious deceptions. Religious deceptions. I mean, there where you have fasting without godliness, forbidding people to marry. They declare you to be holy by keeping man-made rules of righteousness. This is religious deception. Relying on the church for your salvation and not the finished work of the cross of Christ. They teach, for example, you have to be baptized in order to be truly saved, forgetting that, that you know, God's Word tells us the thief on the cross was promised paradise without baptism. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen, these deceptions, 
come from uh, not knowing the Scriptures and not knowing the one who inspires them. They also come from twisting the Scriptures to fit what people want them to say. And all of these ten things can creep into a church. And it happens, it can creep into our lives as well. It happens when the Christian becomes bored with the discipline of the Word of God and they begin to look at other practices that are contrary to the Word of God. They look for some new spiritual experience. Oh, uh, look what God's doing over here. Listen to this new experience over here. Well, come over here. God's doing this new thing over here. I said this many times. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. And it's dangerous. Because these things have become quite popular in churches today. In fact, there are churches that practice not just one of these, but many of them in one church. Bethel Church, Redding, California. Pastor Bill Johnson, they put out great worship. Great worship songs. But what they practice within the church is dangerous. Let me put it this way. There are word, faith, purpose-driven, prosperity, contemplative prayer church with signs and wonders and mysticism. They have it all wrapped up one package. One article I read said that they wrote, also practiced uh, necromancy, or what they call grave-sucking, or soaking, and what they believe that they can suck the anointing out of a deceased person's body by lying on his grave. This is out there. Yeah, I, I agree. Ooh, it's gross. Now, I read another article that denied they denied that, but I also read a quote from the pastor from a book he wrote called Physics of Heaven, and he says this, There are anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries that have lain unclaimed, literally where they were left, because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. I believe it's possible for us to recover realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been untended for decades simply by choosing to reclaim them and perpetuate them for future generations. What verse and chapter do you find that? What, what Bible are you reading? I mean, he's teaching that it's possible to get a hold of another's anointings from where they have been left. Well, where would that be? Or where the person's buried? So obviously they're teaching that. Listen, grave sucking is in fact not a joke. It's crazy. Benny Hinn, who tops the list of the Friends of Bethel, stated that he regularly visited Catherine Coleman's grave, that he feels a special anointing when he's there. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. It's out there. Now, I want you to know that this is heartbreaking because I do believe that those who attend Bethel Church really desire to bless people. And they desire to minister to people. And they've just been led astray and led away by the word, from the Word of God. And I don't bring these things up to, to mock them to make fun of them, but to get us to pray for them. This should break our hearts. We want to see revival in these churches. We want to see them get back to the Word of God. See, they've not been blessed with the teaching of the Word of God systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so they're, not only are their positions false, they're theologically immature in their faith. They're, they're, they're blind to the truth they don't know. And it's sad, especially for the leaders and the families, but even more so for those who follow such behavior just so blindly. And instead of always criticizing them or mocking them, we need to pray for them. But we need to warn people against the false teaching. We can't be silent about these things. And let me say this. Just because a message is taught by someone in a big church, that doesn't make the message true. 
There are huge churches out there that, that are led by false teachers with a false gospel. The largest American-born cult, Mormonism, has grown exceedingly uh, within the last year to a worldwide membership of over 14 million people, 14.8 million to be exact. Yet it began in 1830 with just six members. Apostle Paul knew this would happen. He put it this way in Acts 20, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves. Man, that's pretty strong language. It doesn't say some mean guys, some guys that are a little bit confused. No, he says they're savage wolves. He, it's the idea that there'll be those wolves dressed in sheep's clothing that will look like sheep, even made bad like sheep, but, but they're, they're not sheep. And I've shared this before. How can you tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep? By what they eat, right? Wolves eat sheep. They're always coming down on sheep. Their prey is sheep. Sheep eat the Word of God. They feed on the Word of God. Paul goes on in Acts 20, verse 30. He says that, Also from among you men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So in other words, wolves seek to draw people after themselves while the true shepherd is constantly pointing people to Jesus Christ. So just because the message is taught by someone in a big church doesn't make the message true. And just because something is popular doesn't make it right. In the 1970s, streaking was popular. It was not right. It's still not right. In the same way, just because there's thousands of people watching or listening to some charismatic speaker, it doesn't mean what the speaker is saying is pleasing to God. Joel Osteen, very popular, Lakewood Church, 16,800-seat sanctuary. According to Wikipedia, approximately 52,000 people attend their services weekly. Let me ask you this. What would any one of these members going to a church like Joel Osteen have to say if they were called upon to defend their faith, let's say, to a Muslim? Or to a Mormon? Or to Jehovah Witness? What would they say? They wouldn't have answers. Why? Because they're not being taught the Word of God. Osteen is very popular. But if a person follows his philosophy, they could very well end up in hell. Listen, every message out there today by false teachers revolve around man. It's all about me. It puts man in the center. That man is basically good and we just need to discover our own goodness and unleash our own human potential. Follow your heart. Even though the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches that man without Christ is hopeless and his heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Learn this. The ultimate difference between a, two, a true teacher and a false one is this. A true teacher preaches the message of the cross that man is a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ went to the cross for man's sin, rose again to deliver man from hell. The false teacher centers on self. So the danger from a false teacher, point number one, is they secretly bring in destructive heresies. And we just looked at a whole lot of them. And this brings us to point number two. The second danger of a false teacher is they deny the one who bought them. Now I assure you this point will be a lot shorter. I promise we're running out of time as it is. Look again at verse one. Peter says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, Peter refers to Jesus as the Lord who bought them. Now, understand that mankind is likened in the Bible to being slaves. Before coming to Christ, we were all slaves to sin. Whatever our sinful desires were, we acted upon them. 
Now, like slaves in Bible times, slaves could be bought out of slavery and set free. That's what Jesus did for us at the cross of Calvary. He set us free from the power of sin to control our lives. In fact, he paid the price necessary to buy and set free all men for all time. His death upon the cross makes salvation possible for all mankind. John 8, 36, Jesus says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But understand, only those who believe by faith are set free, are saved. See, when Peter says these false teachers are denying the Lord who bought them, he's telling us that they were never saved. They were never Christians to begin with. Perhaps they had professed faith in Jesus and were baptized, but they were never, never truly born again. Because later on, Peter's going to tell us, and he's going to describe them as dogs who return to their own vomit and pigs to return to their mud. So it seemed from that description and from other indications that they never really had a change in their nature. These false teachers were never truly born again. They remained dogs and pigs. And so when it says they were denying the Lord that bought them, what were these men denying about the Lord? They were denying who Jesus uh, was, who he claimed to be, and what Jesus came to do. Let me say this. False teachers are better known for what they deny rather than what they affirm. They deny the inspiration of the Bible, the sinfulness of man, the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. They deny salvation by faith alone through Christ alone. They even deny the reality of eternal judgment. And especially they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God in the flesh. See, they know if they can do away with that clear fact of Jesus' deity, then they can destroy that entire body of the Christian faith, Christian truth. Listen, Christianity is Christ, and if he is not what he claims to be, then there is no Christian faith. And true cults deny the deity of Jesus Christ. According to, to the Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus is actually Michael the Archangel. Their theology teaches that Michael came to the earth and became Jesus. But it's not just the Jehovah Witnesses that deny the one who bought them. So do Christian scientists. According to the Christian scientists, which is neither Christian nor science, they look at Jesus as a master whose primary purpose was to teach us a positive way to think and to live. That's not our Jesus. That's not the Jesus I know. Nor is Jesus that of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, also known as the Community of Christ Church. Why? Because they deny the one who bought them. They believe and teach that Jesus was a created being, the elder brother of Lucifer. And the more you study the teachings of Mormonism, the more you realize that their Jesus is not our Lord Jesus Christ. Buddhists teach that he was a great teacher, a wonderful man. Islam, he was a, a prophet, but not God in the flesh. Nor is our Lord Jesus Christ the Jesus of the, of the New Agers who says Christ is everywhere. Christ's consciousness, he's in you, he's in me. He's a divine spark who just needs to be fanned you know, through contemplation and meditation. See, all these cults, all these teachings, all these religions deny the deed of Jesus Christ that Jesus as God in the flesh came to redeem mankind from their sins. Listen, that's the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter says they will bring on themselves swift destruction. And the sad thing is, verse 2 here, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, these false teachers are very successful in their ministries because they have many people following them and they're all heading for destruction. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and are many who go in by it. 
Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few who find it. This brings us to a final point. And that is the final danger of a false teacher. Number one, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. Number two, they deny the one who bought them. Number three, they are motivated by greed. Look at verse three. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and the destruction does not slumber. Now this goes right back to the false teaching of the prosperity folks, the prosperity gospel that we talked about earlier. And boy, don't we see a lot of that still going on today. I mean, it was really prevalent in the 90s, but it's resurgent again today. Instead of feeding the flock of God, they're fleecing the flock of God. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Marilyn Hickey, famous word, faith, prosperity, gospel, false teacher. She's been around for a very, very long time. uh, Very popular in this. Once said this. What do you need? Start creating it. Start speaking about it. Start speaking it into being. Speak to your billfold. Say, you big, thick billfold, full of money. Speak to your checkbook. Say, you checkbook, you, you've never been so prosperous since I own you. You're just damn full of money. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Really? That'll work? If I talk to my wallet, it's going to suddenly be full of money? You know, another word for covetousness here can be translated extortion. Extort means to coerce or to intimidate. To get you to give so you'll get. See, if you don't give, then your wallet's going to stay empty. But if you give, it's going to be so full. See, false teaching usually has an element in it that makes you think you're missing out. You know, on something. That you're not fully free uh, as a Christian unless you attend or agree or give or experience and it's an exhortation of your spirit that, that sets you up to be exploited by their twisted words. I mean, they certainly know how to appeal to people's emotions in order to get to people's checkbooks. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They play off of people's emotions and fears. And, and that's what they do. So if they're not healed, then with deceptive words, they'll tell you, well, you need to dig a little deeper, give a little more money, and then with a little more faith, you're going to get whatever you want. I read the sad story of a patient in a mental facility who opened up to a visiting pastor and began to tell her, uh, tell her story. She had fallen her hard times financially. Her landlord had threatened to evict her. She was a Christian, and her church encouraged her, by, her family rather, encouraged her, her church family by telling her to have enough faith to believe God would provide the money. She needed to only speak the word of faith, they told her, and that God would be obligated to respond to her request. She was told that she's the king's kid and God wanted only what's best for her. Well, she diligently spoke what she thought was the word or words of faith. She was then evicted with no money materialized. With nowhere else to go, she returned to the church for help. They told her the eviction was her fault because she did not have the faith to believe God. And since she did not have enough faith, there was nothing that they could do for her. She was in a psych ward for slashing, slashing her wrists. After all, if, if, what hope was there if God himself had rejected her for her lack of faith? Listen, God had not rejected her. Her church had deceived her and their deception led to her destruction. False teaching in the church is no light matter. It can mean the difference between life and death. At least, at the very least, it affects the quality of your spiritual life. That's why Peter closes in verse 3, for a long time their judgment has not been idle 
and the destruction does not slumber. All I can say is I would not want to be these guys on Judgment Day because God is faithful. He will judge them. The last person I'd ever want to be is that person who has pushed heresy his or her whole life as now standing before God on Judgment Day. Because to know the truth and reject it is bad enough. But to know the truth and deliberately teach heresy and twist it and teach those to follow after them in their teaching, that eternal punishment is going to be huge. Unimaginable. Why? Because they secretly brought in destructive heresies. They denied the one who bought them and they were motivated by greed. Their judgment is going to be sure it will come, Peter's saying. He's affirming that. And that's what we're going to see, really, in the remainder of chapter 2, as he talks about, hey, judgment has come before. You can rest assured judgment is going to come. So what's the lesson for us this morning? Number one, we need to be on guard, alert to the destructive heresies that are out there. Filter everything we hear, everything we see through the Word of God. Does what this person is pushing line up with God's Word? Is what they're saying scriptural? Does it point people to Jesus Christ or to themselves? Number two, make sure that we're not denying the Lord who bought us. How do we do that? How do we do that? By denying His deity. Not allowing Him to be the Lord of our lives. By denying Him, by not making Him a part of our conversation. By denying Him, by not having Him as a center of our lives. Finally, what is our motivation? Is it greed? Do we serve God for what we can get? Or do we serve the Lord because of what he's already done for us, what he's already given to us. See, these warnings in Scripture should not be taken lightly. False teaching is running rampant. Everything from blatant denial of God's word to a subtle, slight departure from the truth can be found in churches today. Beware, Peter says, the false teachers, even if their error is slight, reject them as dangerous both to you and to the church. One final quote is from the New Age guru, Oprah who once said, God is a feeling experience and not a believing experience. If your religion is believing experience, then that's not truly God. Sorry, Oprah, you're wrong. That's the Apostle Paul warned us of people just like you in your philosophies. He said this in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Listen, our religion, our faith is a believing experience. Jesus said so. Jesus said in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus said in John 1.12, But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And that's why Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Oprah, God's Word says totally different. It's about belief. Belief is what's us most, of, and what's most important. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We need to be careful because it's out there today. And if you've joined us this morning, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you, Don't look for some new experience. Don't look for some new teaching. Look to Jesus Christ where His Word says we're all sinners. We're lost. We're on our way to hell. But Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and rise again from the grave. So if you believe in Him, put your faith and trust in Him, you can have eternal life. You can have your sin forgiven. That's the way to true life, abundant life. 
And so if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, the elders are going to be up front right as soon as service is over. And we'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow the Lord. Come and talk to one of us. If you have any questions about some of these beliefs, the, the, the men's leadership in this church, we're all aware of the stuff that's going on. We talk about this all the time. You can come up and ask questions about it. We're here to help you guys and minister to you. So with all of that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time uh, this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word because it is truth. Lord, and it's your truth that guides us and leads us. And we thank you for that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, Lord, it's what we want in our lives, Lord, to not veer off to the left or to the right, Lord. It's what our, our verse of the year says, Lord, and, and my heart is that as we read in Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Lord, that is our prayer, that we would meditate on your word, that we would not go away from it, steer away anywhere from it. Lord, we prosper when we abide in you and in your word. Thank you for that, Lord. And I do pray, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, that they would do so this morning. And we do pray for these churches, Lord, that are leading people astray. We pray for revival. We pray that they would have a hunger to get back to your word and to following your word, that they would desire to obey your word. Lord, knowing that that's only where they're going to try find true peace and life is through you and your word. So we pray for them. We pray that the blinders would be off for the eyes of the followers. They would see the truth for themselves. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. We pray, Lord, for this upcoming week, our Good Friday service, our sunrise service, our Easter services. Many come to church only twice a year, Christmas and Easter, Lord. We pray that we could uh, see many come and they would hear the gospel message and they would turn to Christ. Lord, even lay in our hearts today those who we might invite this coming Sunday to hear the message. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the power behind it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's